This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Have you ever wondered why some people tend to phrase questions in a particular way? In many cases, it's try, it is to try and elicit a response that they wanted to hear, either positive or negative. And at times, the type of question you present to someone can actually lead to a lower level of veracity. Recently, Wharton professor Marie Schweitzer and University of Utah assistant professor of marketing Eric Van Epps looked at how questioning can impact deception in responses. Maurice, who's a professor of operations, information, and decisions, joins me in studio. Eric is joining us on the phone right now. Maurice, great seeing you again. Thank you for coming in. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you, Eric. Great to have you with us. Great to be here. Appreciate it. So I guess let's take us back first and, and before we dig into the research, but the interest in looking at questioning. And the responses, where did, where does that come from? Well, I think uh, the, the initial idea here was to think about, let's say it's a negotiation or it could be an interview or it could be any, any number of different contexts where there's some information that one party wants to get out of the other. And that information might put you at a, dis- a disadvantage. So in an interview, I might ask you, do you have other offers uh, in a negotiation, I might ask you a similar question or try to get at you know, how much you value things or what your timing is like. And the idea is that uh, if we were to look at the existing literature and the existing advice people give, it's to say, hey, be sure you ask questions. And sometimes the advice goes one step further and say, well, make sure you ask lots of questions uh, or ask open-ended questions. But the advice really ends there, and there's really no research that uh, before now has really informed our understanding of, hey, what kinds of questions should we be asking? What kinds of questions might get us closer to the truth than others? And that's the work that Eric and I embarked on. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you you also hear the expression, there's no such thing as a stupid question, and that's never rung true to me. I've always thought there were better questions than there were worse questions. And so uh, it's interesting in this research to just try to tease that apart and, and determine what kinds of questions uh, convey your own intelligence, what kinds of questions get the kinds of answers that you're looking for, uh, and which kinds of questions, frankly, don't. How frequent are we talking about here? I mean, I mean, seemingly this is a, a part of a lot of conversations in this realm, whether it be a negotiation, whether it be a job interview. Uh, I would think that this is this is a basic standard piece to to the back and forth between these two people, whoever it may be. Yeah. So, so I, I would add. Yeah, you're exactly right. That is, I think questions are an integral part of every communication we have where we're constantly engaged in not just stating information but trying to get somebody's reaction or learn information from people. In this case, what we found is that the questions that you ask, different kinds of questions, will elicit very different kinds of responses. We're talking about, I guess in some cases, Eric, the difference in in a couple of words here and there making that difference? Yeah, yeah. And so... It might be the case if you are interviewing somebody for a job that you want scripted questions because you might not realize the subtle differences in the questions you ask, the impact that that might have on the answers that people give. And so in our studies, we, of course, script the questions to make sure we're really carefully looking at the differences that are observed. And and it might be the kind of thing that a a practitioner would want to practice as well is script them, be careful about how things are phrased, because even just a few words... uh, 
putting things in a negative framing or a positive framing can, can make a difference. And, and that was kind of how you looked at this research, is that you ask some questions that the assumption would be negative, some where the assumption would be positive, and then other questions where there really was no assumption one way or the other? Yeah, that's that's the framework that we started with. Uh, and in fact, I mean, just as Eric was pointing out, that yeah, we found huge differences in the kinds of responses people would give. Eric? Right. So if you think there's a problem and you assume the problem, you presume that there's there's a problem, what, what's wrong with this car that you're trying to sell me, as opposed to asking, this car doesn't have any problems, right? We find that that, that little flip of framing changes the way people respond. People are much more likely to disclose problems when you presume the problem. But if you say, there's no problem with this car, right? They go, yeah, you know, the air conditioning works great. They spin right into to telling you the one thing that, that works really well on the car. How, how much does, Eric, how much does the knowledge level of the person asking the question, going into that question, kind of play into uh, the, the response that that person gives? Yeah, I mean, we think questions help to reveal that knowledge. Uh, that, that That's one way you can demonstrate your knowledge is by the question you ask. And so if you don't have much knowledge going into the situation, um, we don't necessarily have specific advice for you in that situation. We're kind of assuming that you have some knowledge coming into this to, to determine which questions you should ask. But if you do have that knowledge, don't just be general and polite. Go ahead and demonstrate that knowledge by being more assertive. Especially, I guess it would be if you know you're in a situation where whatever that answer may be, that it's going to be verified by the person on the other side of it, correct? I think that that's right. So, so there's, we're, I mean, and then sort of building on, on Eric's key point here, the, the questions that we ask reveal information. Yeah. So, so one of the key ideas that we're talking about here is that questions not, not only solicit information, they reveal information. They reveal information about our assumptions, about how much knowledge we have, about how assertive we're going to be. And all of those things feed into the responses that we get. How do you think that that this type of research impacts potentially can impact many of these processes moving forward? Well, I'd say that I mean when we think about guiding the conversations that we have, what questions we should ask uh, when we think about hey, here's an assumption that I might be making. Let me challenge that in a different way. The way we practice conversations, or even you know, go through some you know trials or. Uh, you know, training to to develop our ability to ask better questions, whether it's for interviews, whether it's uh, for negotiations or many other contexts, I think we should really think much more deliberately and carefully about the questions we ask. And in some cases, recognize that if we if we ask a question, we could be revealing information about us that we really don't want to reveal. And so Asking a question could actually be the wrong thing to do. Did, did you, Eric? Did you find situations where that reveal of information uh, was more on the negative side than necessarily the reveal being positive information? So we had one study where we asked questions and we manipulated whether we asked about kind of a, a common behavior. We asked, you know, do you use work time for personal email, which a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, we also asked, do you use work time for uh, like online gaming? Uh, which is certainly a less common question. And that, that latter question about the less common behavior, people 
didn't engage in that behavior, and so there wasn't anything to disclose. And then they, they said, yeah, that question asker, what were they thinking, right? They, they rated them more negatively. They thought they were less competent, less warm. And, and so there was kind of a backfiring there where you presume that these people, if you're asking that, that presumption kind of question, you presume that they use work time for online gaming. Yeah, people are like, you're overshooting. You, you've missed the mark here, and I, and I trust you less because of that. But that, it sounds like that the activity that you may bring forth in that question, whatever that activity may be, you mentioned social media uh, usage and or gaming, uh, that will have an impact on the person's response in terms of how much information they want to, they want to bring forward, correct? Oh, right. Yeah. And so, so sometimes... You know, now you're focusing them on online gaming and you didn't get to any of the other behaviors that you might engage in. Or if you ask the question too generally, it might backfire and they're just going to spin into what they wanted to talk about all along. And you never got to the point that you wanted to, to bring up. Maurice? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So, so you're, I mean, you're, you're hitting it you know, right on the head. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would imagine that there's probably even differences when you're talking about being in a job interview as compared to uh, you know being in a negotiation. The difference in terms of how the question is phrased, what the expectation of the response is, there, there are subtle differences within that part as well. Yeah, I mean, what we found is that the questions guide people in a very specific way. So, so they guide people not only to think about the topic or the level of specificity, but what we've found is that by communicating information about the presumption, so there aren't problems, right, or what problems are there, uh, as Eric was explaining, we're we're conveying information about our expectations and. You know, in, in the study that, that Eric was talking about, uh, the kinds of revelations we get for things like how much time they spend at work doing personal things, uh, those answers are profoundly different depending on how we ask the question. The truth is out there, yeah. but what we get is totally different. Is the motivation for the person that is being asked the question, how much does that factor in as well? Because just thinking about the job interview or the negotiation, there's a financial element involved for that person to be able to either, A, present the right answer or be able to present the answer that gets them the benefit at the end. Well, let me even sort of like like build on this and, and take this to a different context. Imagine you're going in for your physical and the doctor who's very busy – the doctor has maybe 40 patients to sort of rush through. Right. Uh, they're going through the physical, and they might ask you a question like, you don't smoke, right? Uh, on the way to, you know, oh, you know how to lose weight, right? Yeah. Uh, just trying to get through a very busy day, uh, and they might just sort of, you know, look at you, make an inference, make a guess, and and by asking these affirming questions— they're, you know, they make it more more difficult for you to say, oh, you, know, you don't use, you know, you don't use drugs or alcohol, you know, abuse alcohol. It's a it's a more difficult assertion. We say, well, actually, I think I've got a substance abuse problem. Um, you're more likely to go along and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then, you know, for the for the clinician, um, I think because they're not paying attention carefully, and, and they might not have been trained to sort of appreciate how. 
important the question phrasing is in eliciting a different kind of answer, what they might get is just an affirmation. And, you know, at the end of the day, it does allow them to move more quickly through that busy schedule. Especially with a doctor, if you've been waiting an extra hour to get to see the doctor to begin with. Uh, that's right. I mean, there, I mean, it's it, there's a lot of pressure for people. So, so I think I think they're, you know, often the way we approach this, and you know, Eric and I, when we were starting this, we we're thinking about, you know, how do we get to, you know, how do we get closest to the truth? And there are sometimes cases I think where the person asking the question may not want to get closest to the truth. They might yeah. have other motives too. I would think, Eric, that I mean, part of this, obviously. Moving forward is the idea of the questioning of the phrasing, uh, but but how do you get to the point where people that are doing that work are doing a better job or understanding what that questioning needs to be? Because that for them for that side of the conversation, that's the end goal to be able to ask the right question to elicit the the, the most effective information from the other side. Right. So so thinking about Maurice's example of of the doctor asking about whether you smoke or use drugs. The, there's certain kind of information that's more important, right? So if you use drugs, that's incredibly important. And so the kinds of questions we asked should probably err on the side of being more likely to find that information out rather than err on the side of convenience um, and, and not finding that information out. And so I think it is, kind, it is incumbent on the, the question askers to decide um, what's the more important information here? Is it more important for me to find out uh, a problem with the car or to find out that the car is all okay? And I know that feels uh, like a little bit um, wibbly-wobbly as a, as a distinction, but recognizing when problems are really important to find out should help guide us to, to ask questions uh, that focus on those problems. If there are other problems that don't matter too much, if you really don't care too much about the air conditioning in the car or whether the person flosses every day, uh, maybe those questions you can be a little bit looser with. But when there's a, a problem that's really important to find out, then then you should be especially careful in how the questions are phrased. Yeah, just sort of building on that. I mean, there, we know that, for example, uh, drug compliance is very low. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even for people who've had heart attacks, people who have uh, heart disease, uh, even people who have uh, had transplants, that uh, drug compliance is is low. And the way a clinician asks the question um, could really guide people to answer very, very differently. And, and these could have serious health implications. And I think, uh, I, I think our work sort of makes a few contributions. One is to sort of, you know, highlight just how important this is. That is that that the answers we get are going to be profoundly different based on how we ask, uh, and then to sort of guide people to sort of, you know, okay, specifically, here's what we should do. Well, and, and even, Eric, playing off of what Maurice just said, when you think about it uh, in the example you give about a doctor asking a patient about whether they smoke or not, we, we obviously have a, a very big discussion going on in this country right now about health care cost. And you think about that information transfer between doctor and patient, and how that could potentially impact those costs down the road. I mean, and we were talking about trying to save on costs. That could be one very simple, very easy way to be able to make that positive impact that we need to see in that area. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree entirely that, that there are going to be these particular behaviors that we can probably identify as being huge cost savers or hugely important for the person's health. Uh, and, and those should 
receive the even more focus than maybe they're currently receiving in terms of how we ask those questions. Joined here in studio by Marie Schweitzer, a professor here at the Wharton School. Uh, also joined on the phone by uh, University of Utah's Eric Van Epps. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I'll take it back for a second because you start out in terms of the paper just asking about the basic function of questions in general. Yeah, that's right. So, so we sort of you know review some of the literature, and what I think is, is sort of really striking about this is uh, how little work has really been done. There's some communication research, but most of the research that we're building on is decades old, and and scholars really haven't been picking this up, haven't been very interested in this. And we find is that uh, when we actually push on this, there's there's sort of fundamental things that questions are doing. Um, where I think naively we'd assume that, yeah, questions just to gather some information. And, of course, that's not true. That is, of course, the questions we ask reveal a great deal of information about us, and the information that we're revealing, sort of, you know, Eric's you know, point sort of early on, you know, there isn't such a thing as a dumb question. Well, you know, sometimes the questions that we ask might, might reveal something about our naivete or, or our expertise, and and that's can be powerful in creating an impression in that conversation. But, but the expectation, Eric, that that people will be able to answer, uh, answer, will be able to ask the right questions. A majority of the time, seems like it's something that is almost kind of bred into into our society, into our business culture. Don't necessarily worry about it. You you know you have a natural affinity to be able to answer, or I should say, ask those right questions. Right, and and yet. If I think about many examples in my own daily life and talk to people, we, we ask questions in ways that often hedge, that are often like worried about being polite or creating a good impression. And the more presumptive, direct, um, aggressive questioning that might actually lead to the answers that we're really looking for, that feels really uncomfortable in a lot of situations. And so there's this push and pull uh, sometimes between our desires to uh, to seem polite and to not seem overly aggressive and actually uh, getting the information that we want to get. Now, in, in looking at the, the research that you did, part of this in terms of talking with the people was, from what I read, an online survey. Is that correct, Eric? Yeah, so we did, we did a couple of these survey, uh, these uh, studies online. So we would we'd ask people to imagine that they're going in for a job interview, but to answer truthfully about their own experiences. Uh, and we did some of these as, as online studies. We did a couple others in the lab. So there's there's a mix of the, the different designs of the studies. So how, how do you think there, the, how, what kind of an impact do you think there had? You even, I mean, obviously people can imagine one thing, but having that, that this being online and again, not having that, that physical person right there in front of them asking that question. I mean, so if anything, I would expect that disclosure rates would be lower for these online surveys, right, uh, that that you feel like you don't have to, that they're not going to be able to follow up and prove whether you've answered truthfully. Um, but we're still seeing differences across these conditions, that we're still seeing those presumptive questions generate more disclosure of these negative behaviors, um, even in this, this online setting where nobody's going to follow up. You could take the opposite side and say, well, but it's also anonymous, so maybe people feel um, like they can disclose, and so that's why we, we measured in the lab as well. But in all of these settings, we're seeing uh, whether it's just a faceless 
survey question asking you or a person face-to-face asking you this question, that those more presumptive questions lead you to disclose uh, negative behaviors, problems, uh, truthful information more frequently. Right, and that's why I ask you, Maurice, because you have this assumption that people not having to face somebody you know, up, up close either are not more open about the information that they would provide or they are more open because they don't feel that pressure of sitting three feet away from the person that, you know, is is asking them about their career and trying to give them the job interview. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point where I think we're um, often when we're in person, we're more likely to be compliant. So if I, you know, like the doctor saying, and there's also a power issue here with, with the doctor or uh, I can think about an interview where somebody asks you, yeah, you don't you don't smoke or you, you've been taking your drug medications, right? It's easy to go along with that and just affirm that assumption, even if it's not true. Uh, and I think the the opposite is also true. When we, we sort of we we presume there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, how many times you, have you taken? You know, how many times have you missed your medication this week? Or you only take your medication, you know, two or three times a week, right? We're likely to get people to comply there, and I think the the idea that you know the, we're sort of finding this even even oh you know in an internet survey as well as in our in person stu- you know sort of our, our more in person studies in the lab, we're we're getting um, I think strong effects across the board, and my presumption is that. Yeah, this is going to happen certainly face-to-face in really important contexts. How, how much do you think then with this research done and, and, and the results that you've seen, how much do you think this can be to a degree a little bit of a teaching tool in terms of asking the right question for people? Now, obviously, an HR department asking questions is going to be much different than a doctor asking questions, as we kind of laid out with you know the, this, the situation that doctors are most in. But can it be a teaching tool? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is, I think, I think this is a very, I think these findings have very broad implications. So we've been talking about, you know, a doctor's office, interviews, negotiations. um, But this is broader than that. And, you know, certainly even, you know, sort of close to home as, as instructors, you know, in the classroom. (laughs) uh, Yeah, if if we're asked, like, you know, (laughs) you you don't have any questions, right? Uh, As opposed to, you you know, the, what questions do you have, or you must have some questions about this, that the way we approach our students uh, will profoundly be different. Eric? Right. Uh, totally agreed about the the connections to the classroom. I've had friends talk about this in terms of the, the political moment and then what reporters should be doing and when they're asking questions, that they could be a little bit more direct rather than, than general um, yeah, I think there are broad implications across a lot of settings, uh, including for for people you know buying products that they can be a little bit more assertive, a little bit more aggressive um, in in asking questions when they're getting a used car or when they're looking for an apartment or things like that as well. Yeah, I'll just add one other key finding uh, from our work is that when we looked at the interpersonal costs of asking these direct questions, right? So 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 one concern you might have is. Hey, if I presume the problem, so I'm buying your car and say, you know, what problems have you had? You know, you must have had some transmission problems or what accidents, how many accidents have you been in? Sure. Uh, the more assertive question asking 
actually didn't rub people the wrong way. So it didn't have the interpersonal costs that we might worry about. And I think the politeness norms that Eric was alluding to before, those got a lot of the way we interact in our conversations. Uh, we often try to be polite. Yeah. Um, and that might guide us or sort of push us away from being very direct. We found is that being direct is okay. That is, people didn't mind it the way we thought that they would. There's not a negative perception about the question, uh, the, the person asking the question. Exactly right. Which is interesting, giving the example that you right. are, when you think about buying a car, especially if it's a used car, there's probably an expectation that that person selling the car has that, okay, I'm going to get questions A, B, and C. If you don't get A, B, and C, are you willing to offer up that information or are you going to stay back and not give it up? What we found is that – so I think people are more likely to reveal the information if they're asked the direct questions. Right. But uh, – and so even though they're, they're being more candid and putting themselves at a disadvantage, uh, they're sort of pushed to be more truthful. I think uh, what we found is that people are okay with it. There's the, they, they don't blame the question asker. Right. Uh, they don't see that person as assertive and pushy in some way. They're actually fine with it. And one other finding to build on that, uh, people also rated themselves as being just as honest across all the different conditions. So if I do hold back uh, information A, B, and C uh, because I wasn't ever asked about it, I consider myself perfectly honest. I wasn't asked. This is fine. uh, There's no problem with that. And then, of course, if people do ask me about it, I do reveal the information. I rate myself as just as honest. And so from the perspective of the person that might be withholding the information, they're okay with disclosing the information if they're forced to disclose it, but they're also not going to like go out of their way to disclose it uh, if those questions aren't being asked. So the moral of the story here is if you're a student at Wharton or you're a student at the University of Utah and you're taking classes with these two gentlemen, make sure you ask questions and you get the information up front. Great seeing you again, Maurice. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Eric, great having you on the phone with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Maurice Schweitzer from here at the White, uh, Wharton School. Eric Van Epps from the University of Utah. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.